Hey everybody, I'm Brian Clapp, VP of Content and Engaged Learning for WorkinSports.com, and this is the Work in Sports Podcast. Not a day can go by without there being some messaging that directly affects the young people of our world. When I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, we felt the burden of nuclear war. I remember being fearful every time a plane flew overhead, thinking they were carrying a nuclear bomb set to destroy us. Yes, I was slightly neurotic. But the theme of the decade was war games. Felt like we were in constant threat of massive military action. Compared to the onslaught young people are facing today, that all seems trite. Job prospects are down, industries are failing, people are dying in mass. You don't need me to recite the hateful mess that 2020 has become. I feel for all of you, and that is not patronizing, that is truly from the heart. I think of all of you daily who are doing so much right to prepare yourself for professional life and create the best version of yourself. And yet the opportunity in many ways is being taken from you. I read someone yesterday pitching a concept, a marketing plan with the main thrust being a push for people to find something new, find something new. Your career in life may be in shambles, your goals may indeed be in disarray, your internships are canceled, and your dreams look to be off track. You're collecting unemployment, you don't have health care, you are afraid of a highly contagious virus killing people around you, but hey, just find something new. As if it was that easy. Personally, I found this upsetting. Kind of like Marie Antoinette saying to the poor people of France, without bread to eat, let them eat cake. These words essentially claim the unemployed just aren't creative enough. They need to just find something new. A mantra like this says, the burden is on you. Just shift and do something else. You're on your own, kid. Figure something out. Now, I'm all for personal accountability. I think we all need to find our own path, make our choices, adjust, learn new skills, adapt. But these are really, really strange times. This is abnormal. Our current events are something none of us have any of experience with. So in my worldview, the burden is on all of us to come together and help each other. Not just pass the buck, not just put the burden back on the individual and say, hey, figure out your own shit out. The time is now to help. And that burden fits firmly on my generation. Those of us with employment, those of us who can help, those of us who can guide and assist and mentor. No one exhibits this spirit more than today's guest, Raleigh Ann Gray. Raleigh has a career in sports as impressive as they come. ESPN, Twitter, the Players' Tribune, Wasserman. She has the iconic sports brand Royal Flush on her resume. But that's not where the story stops. It's barely the beginning. A few years ago, Raleigh launched her own LLC, Must Love Sports, and I'll let her explain the details of that venture, but... When coronavirus hit, she immediately identified a problem facing the young, college-age professionals, and she set out to fix it. Internships were being canceled everywhere. College students need experience, but also many need the specific internship credits to graduate. So now imagine you're a college student whose internship has been canceled, but you need to intern to graduate. Well, now that's a problem you didn't see coming. Here comes Raleigh. 
Must Love Sports pivots their business model, puts together a summer session, virtual internship program, and offers it for free. 355 students have signed up. Raleigh is changing lives. This is community action. This is a collective move to work together and force positive change to help everyone, to work as a team in the game of life. I couldn't be more excited to have Raleigh on this show. So here she is, my friend, Raleigh Ann Gray. Hi, Raleigh. How are you doing today? I am so well, Brian. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited because when you go through your resume, I mean, to have experience at ESPN and Twitter and the Players' Tribune and Wasserman, it's just so many different levels of experience you have. So to be able to talk about your journey and share that here today is, is really cool for us. So thanks for coming on. Hey, super kind. And you can be my hype man anytime. Uh-huh. I'll take it. Awesome. You got it. Um, So uh, obviously I want to jump into all those different places that you've worked and all those different experiences and how you got started and all that. But I want to start with kind of the now. Um, In addition to your work at Wasserman, which is super cool, uh, you're also the CEO and founder of Must Love Sports. You launched this venture three years ago. Uh, Clearly you have way too much time on your hands. I mean, you're not busy enough. You got to just start something else going on. Um, But give us, give us a high level view of what must love sports is your mission, why you started this venture and what kind of what the purpose of it is. Yeah, sure. And again, thank you so much. This is so much fun and work in sports has always been such a great resource for me as someone who works in sports. So it's an honor. Great. But must love sports, as you mentioned, started in actuality, in 2017. And it actually kind of started in around 2013 when I had decided I know some wonderful women in the industry. Why not just get them together to have a conversation? Really nothing more than that. It was just a nice dinner where we all got to see each other. And the next time we walked into a room at a conference or in a meeting, we obviously had some sort of existing connection. Uh, In 2017, I my husband hates this branding, but I got married and unfortunately <laughs> I got married and had to move. Um, so I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina and it's nothing against Charlotte. Uh, it was just, I was loving my time at Twitter. Um, but there's this commitment thing or as they say, I'm supposed to compromise. So yeah, I yeah, moved to Charlotte yeah. and started most love sports as an LLC. So I was consulting with a whole bunch of wonderful companies inevitably went to play uh, to Players Tribune after that and had really just been using it as more of a networking or consulting arm until this summer. Uh, And you know, when you have a website or sort of these back-end engines Mm -hmm. that can easily power a message or a company, it's a lot easier to get something off the ground. So Mm -hmm. in April, I heard from a lot of students who I had guest lectured in friends class. I have no idea why my friends trust me to talk to students at all, but they must just need somebody to do the airtime when they're obviously busy with stuff. And I had taught a class uh, at Wake Forest University for a friend who's at NASCAR named Scott Warfield. And some of the students had said, hey, we've lost our internships. You said to come to you anytime. We're coming to you. And I hadn't necessarily thought about it. I'd been in my own bubble is a term that's being thrown around quite a lot right now. But I'd been in my own kind of situation and dealing with everything that was happening. And the minute I heard that, I remembered how valuable my ESPN internship had been and -hmm. inevitably led to that very kind introduction and resume you stepped me through. So Muscle of Sports became Muscle of Sports Summer Session 2020. It's a 10-week alternative internship program for students interested at 
the intersection of media, technology, and sports and learning at that intersection. We have 355 students in the program this summer, 260 in the core program, which means they are rising seniors just graduated or they're in their last year of a graduate school program or just graduated uh, that graduate school program. And then we have about 80 folks that are getting college credits and graduate on time, which is awesome. Um, And we're very thankful to our partners, but it really is that old adage. I get by with a little help from my friends. I'm getting by with a whole lot of help from my friends because it's entirely (laughs) industry driven. So it's a long winded answer to your question, but that's what my club sports was. And that's what it is now. (laughs) I love it. You know, we often talk in our office about the ability to be agile, right? To be able to make decisions and go forward and, and change and go and do what you need to do. And when I was at CNN or when I was at Fox sports, it was harder to be agile. You have these large corporations and to make decisions and, and move in a certain direction can be really hard. It takes time. It takes process, but you know, you have a little bit more agility and you reacted to something that was needed and created this program that allows so many students to get that experience and continue their process moving forward. Um, what inspired you to do it? But even furthermore, how did you do it? Because this idea of all of a sudden taking 355 students and putting together something meaningful that they can get out of a summer session, that's intense. I mean, how did this come about for you? Honestly, I'm an organized person and I'm a logistics person, if anything. So once that you identify the problem, getting to the solution, if it's just about organizing and making an ask, uh, as you mentioned, being agile and flexible, that for me is just kind of, I can, I can go and I can make that happen. But again, as I mentioned, it's based on um, this amazing industry that we've both had the opportunity to be a part of um, and having worked in different areas of been lucky enough to get a lot of different exposure to folks beyond where I've worked. You know, if I'm at Twitter, I had multiple types of partners that I could head to, whether it's Turner and Bleacher Report, whether it was NASCAR and other leagues and teams and everyone associated. And we have this thing that we talk about in the program and that networking could come across as this kind of dirty word on occasion, Mm -hmm. which is, it's never really meant to be. It's all about having a conversation and getting to know somebody and establishing a relationship. But it's also important to get to know people when you don't need anything. And um, I feel as though I've I've done that. So this is the first time I've asked a lot of people for a favor in that sense that's unrelated to business. So that's how it came about. And that, hey, here's this problem. Okay, the solution is let's figure out some opportunities. And what does that look like? Um, I have the great fortune of sitting on a board of something called Sports Biz Camps, which is for mm-hmm. high school students. Uh, they're great. To, they're awesome. Yeah, they're absolutely amazing. So they I've, I've had that. exposure yeah. to Pat and Jeff and Sam yep. um, and Vincent and what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So I basically knew Vincent about that. on the show before. Yeah, he's phenomenal. Vincent's and I've been fantastic. doing a lot of stuff with diversity and inclusion, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Vincent Pearson uh, and the rest yeah. of the crew. But um, seeing that in a very small subset of what happens over their three-day course as they started last summer and just extrapolating yeah. it made sense and then building it out from there. I have a great summer associate. Uh, you've got to hire her at some point. She was supposed to work awesome. at um, a company and do analytics this summer. Uh, her name's Naomi Cutter, but she's phenomenal in that she is – probably more mature than I am. And keeping me honest, uh, we did a feedback exercise last week to make yeah. sure we're learning about what the program is and how we can make, make it more valuable. So it was just about problem, solution, organization, and logistics. So I don't get this though. I got to be honest. Like college, college professors 
can't slam together a 10 week program in it overnight and like get this together for 355 students. Like I understand you're a process person, but this idea of saying, all right, we're going to put together a 10 week curriculum. that's going to be totally valuable. I'm going to pull in every resource I have to do sessions and have direction and have like real accomplishments come out of it. Like, Really? Like, how did you, how? Like, I'm still not getting it. <laughs> well, you know, so we have a lot of key stakeholders. That's a great point. It's the first call that I made was to a lot of education folks, the ones that okay. have amazing sports business programs to get the idea of how I needed to speak academia, if you will. Mm, Capstone yeah. is not a word I've thrown around since business school, right? right. So uh, learning how to speak to that and what adds value from hours spent in the quote unquote classroom. But if you think about it, none of this could have really existed in actual practice were it not for people taking everything online, including yeah. a lot of our yeah. industry leaders. You know, if I sent an email to a CEO or a commissioner or something and said, hey, could you have an external video conference with 355 students, they would, if you had asked that in February, it would have been a hard no. But now it's turnkey and it's super easy. So that was um, something that certainly allowed for us to be a lot more nimble. Uh, And then the curriculum was just like a lot of things you talk about here, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different areas of the, the industry and we've slowly progressed over the course of um, the summer to go from leagues and teams, the obvious side to yeah. today we had, you know, someone from Twitch come on and talk about what they're doing. So it's progressing through cool. every area that you can, you can really work around, but then the assignments are on Google classroom and they're not overwhelming. Oh. It's, Hey, what's your passion? Identify right. that both personally and professionally. What mm-hmm. is something that you really want to achieve and who is your squad that can help you achieve it? I love that. It, it's yep. stuff that, we all wish we had time to do, but it makes but them probably, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's more it thoughtful. Makes them consider okay. these things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. For me, when I was first coming into the industry and people on the show have heard me say this a million times, I started out as a, like a biology and chemistry double major in college. Like I had no idea what I wanted to do. I had no focus. I had no direction. And then when I finally realized that I want to do something in sports, the only the like frame of reference I had was, well, I like ESPN, so I should work in the media, you know, like uh, there's, but there's so much more to it. There's so many more options out there that people don't know unless they get exposed to. So it's cool that you're able to, to do that. Yeah. And it's really a credit to my ability or my roles that I've had that I've figured out how to get and navigate back to sports always, you know, that intersection of media technology and sports is, is where I live. But just like you, sports is what I always wanted to work in. So even if I was on gaming at Twitter, when I started, somehow I found my way into the sports world. Yeah. It all goes back to that. So the program started in June. What have you kind of learned as you've started and gone through it? Are there certain learning points or like aha moments as you went through it? You were like, oh, wow, I never even thought of this. And now it's like right in your face. So there were certain things that you've picked up on. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you asked that because as with anything that's new or even old, if you're unable to be agile and flexible, like you alluded to, you're probably doing it wrong. So I keep Mm -hmm. telling, you know, the folks in the program, Hey, give me feedback because certainly in your career, you should be open to feedback at all times, real time or otherwise. Um, But also give me feedback on how this adds value to you. And some things we learned early on one, clearly 
not evidenced by this. No one needs to hear from me for a long time. So most of the times we're having students introduced to speakers and I have one-on-ones with everyone in our program. So I'm learning about what matters to them. And it's just about 20 minutes. It's not nearly enough time. And it's always my favorite part of the day. But if somebody says that they're a really big fan of this company, or Mm -hmm. uh, there's a gentleman in our program who Thank you for his service. Happened to be a Marine. And when Anthony Noto came on this week, who was a gentleman that went to West Point and is a former former Army Ranger, Jose introduced Anthony. So that's one thing we learned that that way you get to know um, about these students, but they also get to have some interest in meeting some of their folks that are their sort of business idols. We're also having the students meet in small groups of four over the summer that's just randomly generated. And this is the part that I'm quite frankly, really jealous of um, because you and I are just now meeting, right? And mm-hmm. I've heard about kind of known about work in sports and everything that you've done in your career. But what if I could have met you when I was 22 and coming out of school in this crazy environment and just yeah. needed a peer? And that's the coolest thing is they're going to know. And my big pie in the sky hope is that someone goes to work at you know, the Carolina Panthers, but they want to do business with somebody that happens to be at DraftKings. They yeah. only know that person. And it's yeah. a heck of a lot easier going back to why Muscle Love Sports started to have a conversation and have productive business if you value that person and their opinion as a person and not just a professional. It's so true. I think that's one of the biggest learning points I've had through this podcast and through interacting with a lot of young professionals is that they don't always think they think of networking as something they have to do vertically, right? They have to look up to somebody to network, but really networking happens like horizontally as well. Like those coworkers, those co-interns, those other people you meet, that's, those are the people that go out and become other places that you know someone. And I feel the same way about when I was at CNN, um, CNN Sports Illustrated, when that network shut down, there was 200 people that I worked with that went out to ESPN and Big Ten Network and Pac-12 Network, and those became my strongest network. So, so often you have to think about relationships that are right next to you, not always above you either. Yeah, and we have talked about it ad nauseum that a lot of times our industry gets a bad rap because you're hearing about some of the negative stuff, but yeah. I won't say it because it's not best said and it's less, it's in a closed setting, but we have a, we have a no jerk rule on, like on that. our team that as that. long as yeah as long as you're a good person and you're just trying to do good things together you can yeah. accomplish a lot and that's yeah. again one of those pie in the sky but this is a small industry despite its size and in revenue etc it's worth it to be a good person and just get stuff done based on being so a human yeah. <laughs> it's so true so i have to ask too as as i was doing research for this interview and must love sports and learning a little bit more about your background i couldn't stop thinking about the actual internship process as kind of a broader concept right so we as employers across all industries and i've hired in the media for a long time and i i've hired at, at work in sports as well we look for people that graduate and have some level of experience not just enough to have a gpa a high gpa or be involved in clubs we want them to have some experience. But if you start looking at things through a new lens, like I think a lot of us are forcing ourselves to do now, you look at the intern, the only way somebody can get experience, right, is to do internships. But internships often don't pay or they pay very little amounts. And therefore, it's almost a classist kind of situation where the only people that can get experience are those that can afford it. So 
Is that whole process broken in your view? And if so, what do we do now? What do we do with this information? Like if we know that it's not working correctly and fairly for everyone and people are being excluded, how do we fix it? What do we do? If you could see me right now, you would know that I'm nodding fervently uh, in agreement that one of the things we've done this summer, which I hope to be able to extrapolate and grow upon or or figure out how to work with other, other organizations is really make it flexible in the sense that we're making sure that we can record our sessions. We're recognizing that students need to, most of them, have another job, but they also want to get this certificate of this experience by the mm-hmm. end of the summer. And it's not to say that summer session is duplicative of a true internship in an office with a manager, learning from your colleagues every day. Um, that's certainly something we would love to strive to do, but just you can't duplicate that experience. Right, so right. I am in hundred percent agreement that there has to be, and we had a wonderful speaker come on and talk about um, David Stern, obviously a phenomenal yeah. leader at the MBA who said, we're not going to do unpaid internships. That's not allowed. And I think if you have leaders like that who just set the precedent to say, if we are going to have interns, they're going to be paid and they're going to get that value. And then perhaps you have programs like this that can be supplementary, but recognize that there are things that come first, be it in friends and family, and then you know the necessary things that you have to do to survive for whatever reason. And then this is a piece that shouldn't have any friction related to it. If I'm, yeah. if I'm sort of making sense there, I don't know what the solve is. I would love to get a ton of feedback on how that looks. Right. Um, but this whole program this summer is, is free. Obviously, of course you need Wi-Fi access, but we worked around that with some great bandwidth things related to um, some partners with Slack and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. we'll see. No, I think it's brilliant. I think you guys are helping solve the problem. I just look at every organization. And like you said, the leadership of the NBA to say every internship is going to be paid. That needs to happen, period. Like that needs to happen everywhere. Absolutely. And it just has to become uniform and and and, and part, an expected part of how we operate as an industry and every industry. Because I just think we can't do that anymore. We can't exclude in any way. Um, all right, let's pivot a little bit to you and your background. I love muscle love sports. I'm sure we'll get back to it. There's more things to talk about there, but I want to know a little bit more about your story. Um, BA in history from UVA. All right. So you see <laughs> it wasn't that. chemistry. My gosh. I, know, you. I, know. Well, I didn't finish the chemistry degree. I changed. <laughs> I started that way. I didn't finish it. But anyway, BA in chemistry. And now I'm messing up again. BA in history at UVA. You, you see that and you think, okay, law school, professor, author, but you get into sports. Like, what was your driving moment? What what drove you and said, this is the direction I want to go. I want to work in sports. You know, every major family event for me when I was a kid was around a football game because my birthday falls in football season. So yeah. we would all get together and do that. I am named Raleigh after North Carolina State University. Not that they are a football fo- powerhouse. And of course, my mom, if she listens to this, will come hot on that statement and then start <laughs> talking about basketball. So we won't get into it. But every major fun moment, be it when I was a kid or when I got to college and you were rallying around your team, it always involves sports. Um, And whether it's the competition element or the general community element or 
the thing that we're missing the most right now in this current moment, at least for me, um, that's, that's what sports did for me. So I was lucky enough to work in the sports information department when I was at Virginia. I was the kid who always said they wanted to work at ESPN, but candidly thought that it was just on camera. It did not work mm-hmm. out as, as is obvious. Yeah, exactly. It's happened yeah. a lot. Yeah. Um, I'm now into the business of it instead of the broadcast, certainly part of the business, but that's, that's what led me to sports. Just the love of the camaraderie and community it creates. And then the thought of being around that all the time seemed like a pretty good idea. Yeah. So uh, your first gig, as you kind of alluded to, was as a marketing coordinator at ESPN, right? That was the first one? It was. was. Why that? Was that just an opportunity or did you want to go that marketing direction? You know, marketing was not what I thought I'd do. Like you mentioned, history major, no idea. I'm not Lynn Miguel Miranda. I did not write Hamilton, that was not a thing that I was doing. Um, so even though, don't you know, all, don't we all wish so, exactly, exactly. But um, yeah. I didn't know that marketing was going to be something that I would fall into. I just wanted to work at ESPN. And at yeah. that point, having not been to business school, the idea of how a business is driven was not something I was totally informed about, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. I hadn't gotten that experience in the classroom. It had been history and journalism. Um, yeah. so that's really it. Yeah. So tell me then about that ESPN experience. What did you kind of learn being in that huge organization? That's a big campus. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of pressure, there's urgency, there's everything high level about it. Best practices, everything. What, what would you, what were you kind of your big takeaways after an experience like that going to one of the biggest names in sports? It's a great question. I was lucky enough to intern at ESPN. So I'd had some exposure to the size and scale, right? And I was actually not in Bristol as frequently I was in New York. So I was learning from both my professional day job, but then also living in a city, having grown up in Nashville, Nashville, Tennessee, gone to school in Charlottesville, Virginia, and then come to, you know, the big, the big apple, um, and been absolutely shocked, but I had some phenomenal managers. Um, and when I was an intern, I worked on the affiliate sales and marketing side. So I learned how it gets, the product gets to television and what that looks like. So then it was important to me to learn how to market that product. And you may remember this, but ESPN invested in having their own cell phone uh, around 2005, 2006. That's the product I was working on. Awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, But it was actually awesome to see that it failed, obviously not for the company, but how they pivoted the product. And you thought, hey, this is actually a startup within a well-funded company. This is cool to see. So if I had any takeaway, it was that I didn't know enough about business. And that's what led me to leave what had been a dream job and go to business school and get that knowledge for myself. And a lot of people ask, you know, should I get my MBA, et cetera? Very personal decision, because oftentimes a very costly one in terms of opportunity costs at a job and physical costs yeah. uh, of paying for the experience. But that was invaluable to me because I got this amazing learning at ESPN because as a coordinator, they just want you to do everything right. uh, and learn from everybody and get your hands dirty if you've got the right manager. And I did in a woman named Jess Connolly. Um, and that's, that's where it led me to was to go back to business school, get some more learning because if I want to run a company, I have to know the ins and outs and where my weaknesses lie to be able to backfill with great people that are smarter than me all the time. I think that is actually a really powerful combination to go get some experience, see how things operate, maybe learn a specific skill like marketing, the action of it all, the process, the whole cycle, and then go back and get that really deep 
business knowledge. So you really understand how things work. Did it change your whole perspective confidence wise and everything to once you got your MBA and felt like, okay, now I really understand the business and how the industry works. It did because it solidified for me that what I am better at is marketing or business development or relationship and then strategic thinking with it. And what I am not good at, or I will always hire will be someone who is really powerful with the numbers. So a CFO at an organization is going to drive so much value for me. So I think knowing where your strengths lie and consistently how you can improve them, but then also where you are most flawed in how you do what you do and recognizing that and being unapologetic and certainly trying to learn it, but knowing that you're probably going to have to lean on somebody else for that. um, That's what I learned coming out of it. So coming out of business school, you end up going to Twitter. Is that right after, right? Yeah, so Wait, that's that a long a, story with right after, but yes. <laughs> yeah, well, nothing's ever right after. I always I have a couple of delays in my resume as well um, between, between stops, kids, things like that. Um, nonetheless, um, those little things that get in the way, you know. Oh, those. Um, <laughs> the, the, uh, when you jump to Twitter, though, I mean, 2012 Twitter is different than the Twitter we know today, right? So that was that was still like the growth curve startup kind of vibe, I would think. Was that a big difference being at something in kind of its upward growth curve startup-y in a way versus a really established organization like ESPN? It's a great question, and it's absolutely the case that it was very different. I, in between my two years in business school, went to a bank Um, So that was dramatically different, but it was still very structured in the sense that uh, you're a big company with a lot of checks and balances as a ESPN owned by Disney would be. But when I got to Twitter, it was effectively living every case study that I had read in business school, right? So the ability to play that out and to be involved in, at that time, I was helping drive revenue, but I was also helping build the products to drive revenue that was really cool to me. And I'd always said, I love tech, but it meant, you know, I got the latest iPhone if I was lucky enough to, or I wanted to learn more about Bluetooth technology or AR or something totally nerdy. But this was the first time that I had been kind of in the in crowd. All my friends had gone to work in banking in New York and I worked in media and now I was in tech in San Francisco and I was on top of the world and working for a company that was definitely growing, but also was experiencing growing pains uh, and had great leadership to say, here's what's happening. Here's how we're going to fix it. Did getting your MBA change your career kind of thoughts? Like, did you look at, like, if you were at ESPN thinking, oh, marketing's cool. I love this. This is really neat. Or you had some other ideas of what you were thinking about during ESPN, but then you go to business school. Did that kind of change things for you? Like, uh, did you see the industry a little bit differently? Did you say like, oh, maybe I want to go in a different direction and Did that change at all your direction or? A little bit. I would say that it made me kind of check myself on if I really wanted to be involved in sports or if I really wanted to kind of push sports to the wayside and and consider something else just based on now the ability to sort of restart. Um, I found, and this is very very personal, it's probably different for other people, but when you come into San Francisco or to the Bay and tech companies with an MBA, Oftentimes, if you haven't grown up in sort of that entrepreneurial environment or gone to a school that's nearby, you don't necessarily, you know, get a a look, if you will, because they think you want to manage and they think you want to do certain things. And I've had to sort of raise my hand when I was interviewing and say, guys, I've never managed a team. I've never been on a tech sales team. 
don't worry yeah. about where you put me. I'll prove myself just fine, yeah. but you can start me on the, on the what, equivalent of what would be the bottom. That'll help me learn the product. That'll help yeah. me learn the language. Um, so getting my MBA definitely allowed me just to be more inquisitive and understand what to look for, mm-hmm. whether it was right or wrong. It was just more ability to evaluate at a strategic high level. Yeah. So in your last year at Twitter, you were the director of, of live content. And I think this is fascinating because when I was in the media, everything we fought for were broadcast rights. We fought for Mariners broadcast rights. We need the Mariners deal. We need to have some product to put out there. That was the way we monetized everything. We could sell the ads. We could then bring back all of that revenue back in that allowed us to do other programming. That's where the big battlefield was. Was that what was emerging in the social media world as well was – we got to acquire live content and that's going to be what pushes things forward and sports obviously being on the kind of forefront of live content. Absolutely. So obviously at the time OTT platforms were over the top platforms were coming of age and people were getting much more used to engaging and watching things on their handheld device because that had already been the second screen experience, meaning you had already been tweeting about the game or posting a photo on Instagram because you were at the game, et cetera. So I was lucky enough to work for a great leader who at the time was the CFO uh, at Twitter. He had been the CFO at the NFL. So he was very immersed in and understood the particular aspects that went into, you know, getting live to television or getting those rights for Thursday night football. And that was such a fun project to work on because it really flexed every muscle for me to help lead teams. And obviously it was the amazing people at Twitter that were doing the work, but this cross functionality between, you know, a strategy sales marketing versus engineering product development in a very, very fast paced environment because we acquired the rights in April just before the NFL draft. And we were expected to go live on Monday night, pardon me, Thursday night football in September. So that's a fast timeline. If you are a smaller tech company that, that we were at the time. That's so fascinating. So now, yeah, no, it's pretty cool. Um, So now you have a stop at Players Tribune and you jump to Wasserman after that. At Wasserman, your title is a senior director of Athlete Exchange. And I think this is super cool. So can you just explain to everyone what that actually means? Because it's one of those titles that you read, senior director of Athlete Exchange. Sounds neat, but I have no idea what it means. So can you give us a little Please, bit of, give us a little bit of insight you're, there? Your, your guess is, is you know, better than mine at this I point. I hope but, you're um, better. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Washman's a phenomenal uh, organization. Obviously, started by Casey Washman and a, a great team over there that I've always really admired. Um, two sides of the business, of brands and properties and talent, traditional talent. And obviously, I'm not an agent. And I'm not working solely with brands and properties. So my role is to be able to work across both. Um, And our team really works to lift the digital profile of our athletes. Uh, It's hugely important to their success that they feel comfortable utilizing social as a growing technology. And there will be others. And I'm sure we'll continue to educate on that. But uh, it's a part of telling their story, which is really important. They're not just these folks that are playing whatever sport they happen to be phenomenal at. They're helping engage with, you know, social justice reform, or they are really involved in women's rights or insert whatever amazing calls that they're using their name for. And that's really what we get to do is tell their stories and associate that in a digital capacity. 
it's so fascinating to me and I'm going to sound like a real old man here. I'm not a, I love the idea of athletes being able to use their voice and build their brand and have a personality out there. Like when I was growing up, we never knew what anybody was thinking. We were never able to contact and talk to uh, professional athletes on any level. But I will also say sometimes I'm not a huge social media fan because it can be so toxic and it can be so cruel and it can be so awful how do you balance that? Like the, the, the idea that you want to have your athletes have a brand and a voice and be out there and build their persona and give them this freedom. But at the same time, I think it would keep me up at night. I'd be so afraid of every moment. How do you kind of have that balance between giving everybody the freedom to have their voice, but also knowing that it can be such a toxic world sometimes. And so, so detrimental. Sure. And it's a it's a great point. Right. I find myself just as a normal person swiping through all of these various mediums that we have accessible. And one, it's time suck on occasion. And two, (laughs) it's just a rabbit hole you go down. And if you go down a bright one, then you're feeling good when you come out. Otherwise, it could be a very dark place. And that comes from my time in working. A lot of the advice I give comes from my time in working at Twitter or having great friends at Snapchat and TikTok and Facebook and Instagram and all the others that exist, YouTube as well. And just understanding what the platforms have done to make it amenable to have personalities, athletes, media, uh, entertainers, you know, musicians, et cetera, on the platforms and helping to educate about how to use them to provide a message, but also to not inundate or take away from what you're trying to achieve with whatever that message is. So for example, Instagram does a lot of good job with comment curation or on Twitter, you can blacklist certain terms if you're feeling as though you're being bombarded. So that's a lot of what we advise on is just, here's the expertise we have about these platforms. Here's how this can help you. And then taking that from there. Do you work directly with the athletes and help kind of coach them through it? Or is there a different process you guys go through? Yeah, we work directly with the athletes. It's important that we hear their story from them because if it's, kind of that game of telephone. If it's just the agent tells us something then we may have missed it and not because the agent missed it, just because it's somebody else talking on somebody else's behalf, which is why social media can, when it's not detrimental, add some value because it's one to many as opposed to, you know, somebody else on their behalf to many. Um, So we do share that information quite frequently. Education is hugely important. And then just sitting and saying, what's important to you? Yeah. How, how have you been using your time outside of training and basketball or whatever your sport is? I always found when the microphone was off and I wasn't recording anybody and I was just talking to them as a human being, you'd find so much interest. You'd find so many things that they were passionate about or cared about and it would humanize them so much. You'd start to see them as something, not just an entity on TV, but somebody that could just sit and talk to. And I think that was also some of the most enjoyable points of my career. And I love that we're expanding upon that now and allowing these athletes to be human and a voice and not just a commodity and not just an entertainer. Uh, So where does the concept go from here to how do we keep developing this and what's next? What do we see in five years as far as athletes and their voice and their brand and all of that is, do you have any, any thoughts on that? I mean, it's interesting, right? I've been lucky enough to work at ESPN who effectively created the communication model for sports 24 seven network back in September of 79. Uh, And then I was able to work at Twitter, which was a platform that 
literally allowed you to go off the cuff quickly in 140 yeah. characters originally. Then Players Tribune, who wants to tell the longer story that doesn't look at the abbreviation of 140 characters. And now I'm allowing those stories to be told for a roster of athletes that uh, include, you know, Magna Rapino or Clay Thompson or someone that's just bigger than life uh, and the sport itself. So I don't know necessarily where it goes, but if you think about the way you're using technology these days, be it just digital and web or if it's social it feels like it's expanded a lot and there's so many options, but then you look at a company like the athletic, right? And they said, we're going to put your favorite writers behind a paywall and you Mm -hmm. have to subscribe and they are doing phenomenally well. So the idea that it's expanded a lot, it's contracting back to what you want it to be. And I, I use this example all the time, but when I was younger, when I got Sports Illustrated, it was flip to the back page and see exactly what Rick Riley was talking about. Because that's <laughs> same, what I, same thing. Oh yeah, my God. like yeah. that was where yeah. I went. So yeah. what is that going to be? You'll have the medium that is Sports Illustrated, but what is the reason that you're going to Bleacher mm-hmm. Report to see what was said on their really cool BR football program or whatever? Yeah. So I think the expansion happened, contraction will happen, but I don't know how that involves athletes so much as they may be in one place and therefore you're in that one place with them. I love the various experiences you've had because you're even just, just sharing that journey of like ESPN and Twitter and Players Tribune and Wasserman and your own muscle of sports. Like they just, there's such huge brands that all have made such a massive impact and you've been on the front line seeing it happen. And I think that is just a, a powerful thing and experience that you can share. I know you're busy. I know you've already given us a ton of your time, which I really appreciate. Um, so we'll, we'll finish up with this. I, I will let you get back to your normal life. There's more fun things you want to do. Not a um, chance, man. This is so, I'm an only child. This is so fun for me. <laughs> oh, great. You get to be the focus, right? Yeah. Um, so, so, I'm, I'm still cu- really curious about the Muscle Love Sports and the, and the program that you're running, and I'm, and I'm inspired by it. Um, as you talk to or have some level of interaction with 355 students, and you combine that with your business knowledge, your experience out there in the real world, are you seeing any patterns of where students today maybe lacking in certain ways. I don't mean that as an insult. I just mean, are there certain skills that maybe aren't as developed? Are there certain things that they should be focusing in on to really help them acclimate to the business world? I mean, one thing I often talk about is that a lot of the people that I interact with, I think there's a, there's a, a little bit of a lack of communication skills and writing skills and some things along that nature. And I think that's something that needs to be worked on. So I just wonder as you combine your actual real world experience with now interacting with people that are looking to break in. Are there, is there anything you're seeing that really needs a, I don't know, a little extra advice or, or emphasis we could put on it? It's a, it's a really good question. No, it's great. And we have gotten a lot of feedback. We ask in every session that we're lucky enough to have with our industry leaders, what is something you want people yeah. to focus on and communication skills and writing definitely come up. So the redundancy of that, very beneficial. The more you hear it, the more likely you are to focus on it. I will say that I have been so excited, as I mentioned, doing these one-on-ones with students and figuring out that they are really passionate, very focused on what they want to do. And they're also, uh, you know, I said to you earlier, the kids are all right. (laughs) We're going to be fine. I'm, I'm thrilled with, with all these students, but I will say the thing that 
I challenge them to focus on is something that I need to focus on too. And that so much is brought to you. Like we just talked about content. There's so many options. Oftentimes I'll find myself just getting part of the story and being inquisitive and going further and being intellectually intellectually curious, if I could say it, you can probably do it, uh, is far more important to becoming a really well-rounded person in our industry. You need to know what's happening outside of sports to be able to be successful within it because there's so many different aspects that enable sports to happen, but also can inhibit it. Uh, And that just is something that we're focusing on and that, yes, it's great to get the quick hit of the media you know, something, but why was that story being told and why is it important to the longer narrative? What is that narrative over five years, et cetera? So I think that's something that everyone can work on probably. I know I can and making sure that you're understanding why a story impacted you if you only got 240 characters of a story. I love it. It's incredible advice, Raleigh. This is, this is so much fun to talk to you and to learn more about your journey and to see what you've done with must love sports. I think it's fascinating. Uh, and you're doing a great service too. I, I still can't get over 355 students. That's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, in, the, in the first I session. Just, I hope I have 355 future bosses, man. Cause I'm going to be working for each one of these. Just remember me That's when great. guys, just please. <laughs> Is this something you'll continue doing? Is this virtual program something you're going to expand upon once you've seen this level of success? Yes, absolutely. It's um, something that I think is really important. I don't know that I, I, I'm hopeful they have seen success with it and we'll measure that. We've done feedback now. We'll do feedback at the end. Yeah. Uh, but I'm hopeful that it's something that has created a community and that community can't be sustained if you don't continue it. So we'll figure out how my goal is to obviously put together an amazing summer program and then figure out how we can sustain it. And certainly hopefully with folks like sports biz camps, this rolls into the collegiate experience and beyond. So we shall see. And it's only made better by friends like you who are kind enough to, to talk about it. So I really appreciate it. (laughs) Absolutely. This is a joy for me. So thank you so much for coming on. I know our audience is going to love every minute of this and enjoy all the information you shared. So thanks for coming on. Thank you. Y'all have a great rest of the summer. And again, appreciate it, Brian, as always. Thank you so much to Raleigh for coming on the show. Uh, We laughed a lot during the interview and she is a really good sport, but I want to make sure everybody knows this is a serious subject, you know, and and Raleigh's setting out doing serious things, trying to help. And that inspires me. And that's why we do this show. We want to help. We want to provide value to all of you out there, help give you guidance and mentorship and some direction when you have questions you're not sure of. You know, that's the purpose of this. That's the purpose of must love sports. That's the purpose of so many people out there. You know, as I reach out to people right now and say, hey, I'd love you to be a guest on the show. Our response rate is greater than ever. And that's because the collective good of people who want to help. It's amazing. More people are doing free webinars and providing their time and providing their guidance and providing everything they can to help. So take them up on it, but also appreciate it because we're all banding together to try to make everybody stronger together. Thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you for being a part of the show. Subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff that we always ask you to do. And please wear a mask and stay safe. Thanks for listening.